welcome to the Geek Night In episode I don't know what number it is because I didn't bother <laughs> to check before we started. We're recording 40 Exactly. We were recording 45 minutes late today. I've had meetings. Gemma's been doing things. Kate's been fine. Kate's been sat here and just like, yeah, I'm ready, whatever. And, you know, just chilling. So I kind this of... This is episode... 55. This is 55. Okay, episode 55. I guess it's not a mystery. That person who knows more than I do about episode numbers is Gemma. Hello. Hello. I can type a URL. Yes, you can. And I forget to do that because I am busy in the presenter zone. You know who's not in the presenter zone? It's Kate. Hi, uh, I'm in learning about vaginal things <laughs> do you want to talk about this vaginal sourdough twitter is going wild tell us about, all about the vaginal sourdough that is happening oh people are now getting angry about chicken <laughs> oh my god okay so somebody who you know i'm very fond of stavers on twitter um had like kind of tmi warning coming up had thrush and decided to use her yeasty vaginal fluids to make sourdough <laughs> Yeah, that is a thing that's happening on the internet. Boy, do feminists and disgusting men have differing opinions on that. So, yeah, I mean, to be yeah. honest, sourdough is not that nice. So just don't eat sourdough. Yeah. I love the smell of sourdough. I don't like the taste. Oh, I kind well, of got into you're it. You're not going to like the taste of this one. <laughs> well, no. you never know. Maybe it will have some unique taste properties. It's quite... What's normal sourdough is kind of popular in Finland. So I've had a bit of that from Finnish friends. It's, it's a very wow. dense bread, and I think it's the texture that I'm not a fan of. I'm fine with the flavour and the smell. So, you know, I'll give I'll give this sourdough a shot, maybe. <laughs> maybe not hers. Mm, yeah, I'd, I'd kind of avoid that. Yeah, someone else's, maybe not. Anyway, we've got geeky things to talk about. Maybe that's geeky, I don't know. Who has a geeky thing they'd like to start with this week? Gemma does. <laughs> does Gemma? Uh, I do. I have a few, I guess. Well, I've had kind of a dull fortnight but because uh, of work things. But I have ended up watching a lot of films. Um, I mm. recently rewatched The Cabin in the Woods, for example. Oh, that's such a good film! I've never, so good. I'd never watched it until a few months ago. Um, it is... Not nearly as scary as I feared. Oh no, it's not. A very no. interesting satire on like knowing satire on horror film tropes. Yeah, I feel like I don't want to spoil too much, but it is worth watching for that and yeah. saying like, although it definitely has gory bits, it it is more of a satire on horror yeah. films. It's you, really interesting yeah. to watch on those. Do you grounds. want to see a very interesting deconstruction of horror tropes? then watch this horror film. Because it's a mm. good horror film that's not too scary. Like, me and Tilly are wusses when it comes to horror. We got through it okay. Yeah, I'm not... I I had it... When it first came out, I had it recommended to me by a friend who was, like, went to go see it kind of on a date or whatever. Um, and was like, oh, yeah, it was really good and really fun. And I can't remember if this was before like Thor and Avengers, but yeah, it was before yeah. I was interested. It was between Thor and Avengers, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, so I didn't really know who Chris Hemsworth was. No. Um, but yeah, I just, I've randomly, I don't really watch horror movies more than once. I've seen Cabin in the Woods like six times. Well, it's like, I, I had the same thing where I wasn't particularly interested in any, any of the actors and the just the mere, like, 
the the knowledge that it fell into the the genre of horror was like oh this probably isn't going to be for me like the only time like i've thought no oh, maybe i'll rewatch that horror film is saw because i was like that's gross and it's horrible but there's some interesting stuff in it but oh, I, I, I enjoyed I cabin in the woods i've seen saw 3d i think i saw it like as part of a Halloween back-to-back special thing at an all-night cinema event. I've, I've seen too um, many of the Saw films. Is Saw 3D the one where, like, toward the end, there's the man on the big block of ice? I have no idea. Is that the third one? I can basically that, remember that, very little of it. Laura, that's Happy Feet. Uh, I, <laughs> this man did not have Happy Feet. I love Happy Feet. <laughs> he had watching. very sad feet. Okay. <laughs> um... So yeah, what did you what did you think of Cabin? Was this your first time watching Cabin in the Woods? No, I, I saw it in the cinema at first, and then yeah. this is my first time watching it at home. I actually got to show my husband. What did he, What did he think of it? Yeah, he seemed to really like it. I mean, uh, we went into it knowing that Joss Whedon had been involved somewhere, and so of course we laughed at the Whedon esque bits. It's <laughs> it, I, I like what Joss Whedon does a lot with sort of the breaking the fourth wall kind of things, and just the the dialogues which go on because the film starts with this with the two um uh like technician guys just talking amongst each other in quite an entertaining way and that, it, that it, i just it, really it, like that it in set a very interesting tone for that film off the bat and he did very he did a very good job with naturalistic dialogue Mm. So yeah, There's something I feel Quentin Tarantino tends to get right quite oh, a lot as well. Oh, Tar- Tarantino is a master of that. I still mm. think that like that might be one of the biggest strengths of Kill Bill is the strength of just the just the writing and the dialogue. Not mm. actually Pulp Fiction because all the oh. quotable bits from Pulp Fiction are like Royale with cheese. <laughs> I need to stuff. rewatch. I think we'd kind of need to do a Tarantino rewatch because I've seen most of them i have a massive kill bill poster in my room mm. um and i have like the kill bill shoes and i've got a really nice <laughs> blu-ray of pulp fiction so i think yeah like well, the, i need to rewatch them the more. ones that i've watched semi recently where i rewatched um both of the kill bills i rewatched um i i re my brain's gone i rewatched uh pulp fiction and he was inglorious bastards as well wasn't he Mm-hmm. I think yeah, and I rewatched that recently. So, yeah, I I think that Quentin Tarantino is pretty damn good at making films, mm, and it's pretty good if he he's good for watching in a sequence. Um, yes. Again, we did a bit of a Tarantino run a few months ago, and although I knew like uh, there are all these fan theories about the way that Reservoir these, Dogs is that the the heist from that then leads into Pulp Fiction because yeah, we're all sharing the same universe kind of thing. It's all a shared Tarantino verse and it's quite amazing and I love it. Mm. So and we ended up watching all of them up to I still haven't seen Django Unchained. I think that's the only Tarantino Ooh, film good. I haven't seen. It's good. It's a pretty oh, okay. good film. It's one all of right. my it's very long. Yeah. But it is in terms of performance and in terms of like the writing is good. I mean, the writing is good on all of his, but I think, like with like Pulp Fiction and Kill Bill, it's very much he's trying to do something incredibly new and incredibly groundbreaking and kind of make everyone go, "Oh my God!" It's you know, it's Tarantino and he's this Pulp Fiction. Nothing's in the right order, and somebody puts a watch up their butt and all this kind of thing. And then um, <laughs> in 
and Kill Bill, it was like, oh, you know, girls with guns, and it's kind of Japanese anime going on. Um, and then with Django Unchained, it's kind of like he, he calmed down a bit and was like, you know what, I'm just going to make a movie about people where stuff happens. Um, and although it still has very Tarantino-esque parts to it, you know, the soundtrack's fantastic. Jamie Foxx is incredible. I, abs- I think Jamie Foxx is fantastic. I saw him in Collateral no, it's Collateral. Collateral is one of my favourite films, I think. That was an amazing... I love Tom Cruise. And uh, I was like, oh, I quite like Jamie Foxx. And then was kind of sold by the end of it. And Christoph um, Voltz is in it, and he's amazing. And, oh, I can't remember her name. Somebody Washington? Kerry Washington. Kerry Washington is in it? Yeah, she's in it. Um, and I think there's a couple of others. Oh, Jonah Hill. Oh. Jonah Hill, he's yeah. in. Uh, he's in like a KKK member randomly, <laughs> which is a very weird sequence to be with the KKK. Um, it just turns into like a sketch. Um, but yeah, it's one of it's up there with Kill Bill as probably my favorite Tarantino. Because oh, I had it in my head that there'd been mixed reactions to it, but that's really reassuring. I should actually well, get around to that. That's the other one. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, I know it's very cliche, but give that bad a poor Oscar. Like, I feel so bad for him. Easy <laughs> try is so hard. <laughs> Although me and my sister have this massive thing about how we love Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt is so underrated. Oh, wait, no, actually, it's not my favourite. Inglorious Bastards is my favourite Tarantino movie. Inglorious Bastards is kind of wonderful. Um, The thing I love about um, Leonardo DiCaprio is I love the people who um, take shots of him not winning his Oscars and then overplay it with Linkin Park's um, I tried so hard and got so far. (laughs) But in the end, it doesn't even matter. It just makes me so happy. So, um, yeah, other things to talk about. Actually, while we're talking about films, there is a film that I recently rewatched that I completely forgot how much I love, and it's The Taking of Pelham 123. And hmm. it is a film where John Travolta plays a man who takes a train hostage, and it's the train conductor... He takes a train hostage? Yeah, he takes a train full of people hostage. It's Gemma. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Gemma. Gemma is John Travolta. No, John John Travolta. John Travolta plays a really convincing, very well acted villain, and it's basically he stops um, like a, a subway train somewhere in America in one of the tunnels, has people on both ends of the train guarding it, and he's like, right, you are going to deliver me a load of money, or I'm going to kill everyone on this train, and it's all just John Travolta talking with this uh, man who's in the like the at the subway control room and it's a really good really tense film that i really enjoyed i think john travolta makes an absolutely fantastic villain and i forgot how much i loved that film until i rewatched it hmm. but Gemma so, would get, yeah. is the train okay in the end because i don't the, want Gemma to get the upset. train is okay the what? train gets out unharmed Okay, that's that's really have. unusual for films because so often you get like a, a district line train smashing into all sorts of tunnels where it shouldn't be and you know i I won't say what happens to the people but the train's okay (laughs) oh right the train (laughs) the train gets out completely unharmed um so yeah um other things to talk about this week i've got some things to talk about i've been watching a load of shows on netflix that recently came out so i've got those to talk about uh, do either of you have any interest in Master of None, which is Netflix's new show by uh, Aziz 
Oh, I forget his surname now. I feel very bad. Oh, the guy from Parks and Rec. Yes, the guy from Parks and Rec. Um, Sorry, how many shows does Netflix have right now? Because when you were like Netflix's new show, I was like, oh, I wonder if I wonder if she's going to talk about Jessica Jones. Well, oh, maybe she's going to talk about that other one with the Nazis. And then you just like hit me with a curveball. I, I haven't watched the one with the Nazis, but I've watched half of Jessica Jones and I've watched the whole first series of um, Masters of None. So Masters of None is basically a very subtly handled comedy that has really good representation stuff uh, six minutes to the first confirmed lesbian and she's awesome and I love her um, and basically it is like it is one of those like slice of life sitcom type things following one person but it doesn't force on like heavy use of the laugh track it doesn't force jokes out one after the other it's not afraid to slow down at times and do to interweave drama with the the humour and all of the jokes feel very naturalistic and very sort of like they are a natural part of the plot rather than thrown in just to have jokes. And I really enjoyed it. Um, by the end of the series, it does some really interesting stuff in terms of uh, very realistic representations of relationships as flawed things that aren't always as perfect as they seem from the outside. And it still manages to find humour even when it's talking about how relationships aren't the perfect things they might always seem to be. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was just a really nicely made show that I was just like, oh, I am constantly enjoying this. This is really good. So that was that was a thing I really enjoyed. And um, on the other side of the coin, Jessica Jones, which I am six episodes into. Jessica Jones is the new Marvel uh, superhero series that is set in the same sort of tv marvel universe as uh it's set in the marvel universe it's set in the same city as daredevil i think but it it references the avengers and things like that um and it is a fantastically made crime noir that is absolutely terrifying and very trigger warning content filled um so the very basics of it it the show follows a woman who has basically just has super strength um she can jump very high and almost kind of fly because she jumps very strongly and she can punch stuff because she's very strong and that is about the limit of her abilities and you're not given an origin story you're thrown straight away into episode one um where she's already got a nemesis who is played by david tennant and his power is very creepy. It is like, it's really unsettling. His power is he can control minds just by telling people what to do. And they are powerless to refuse. So it's like, um, hey, I'm going to be staying. Walk into someone's home and be like, I'm staying here for a while. And they'll be like, oh, yes, you are. That's really nice. And everyone just sort of bows to his word. And it's used to fairly terrifying effect. Um a lot of the trigger warnings and things applicable to this um, show are to do with uh, surviving abusive relationships and sexual abuse. Um, and the way that this is generally used is that this villain is very much an allegory for real life um, abusive relationships. He is used to basically discuss how controlling abusive relationships can be very difficult to get out of and the strength that is required from people to 
survive and to live after going through abusive relationships. And it's very tough watching, but it's very sensitively handled. Um, mm. Like the, the the mere fact that the show starts after moments of abuse have already happened, it never feels the need to show them. It shows the characters' responses to what happened and the ways that they deal with it. But the show starts after a moment of abuse and never like feels the need to rub it in your face that it happened. And it, I generally feel like it does a really good job of handling the topic of um, survivors of abusive situations and relationships. But that doesn't take away from the fact it is very hard watching. There is, if you go look on Tumblr, there is an episode-by-episode, time-stamped, spoiler-free trigger warnings guide that is really good. If you search for Tumblr trigger warning guide um, Jessica Jones, you will likely find it fairly easily, which is definitely useful if you are concerned about that. But I'm really impressed with the pacing, the acting, the sheer terror that that villain embodies. Um... I feel like the way that they've used they've used a very relatable human fear to create a very small scale but terrifying in scope villain is really impressive. I haven't finished the series. I'm about halfway through, so for all I know it could go wrong in its representation stuff. Oh, this also has good lesbians. Uh one episode in, you've got a really good um a really well done lesbian relationship that is very like it's very casually thrown in it's never made a big deal of but it's very obviously present and it's not shown as perfect by any means it's shown as being as flawed and nuanced as any of the other relationships going on in the show so I like that so yeah that's Jessica Jones not a show you want to binge watch in one sitting because it's very heavy watching yeah, that sounds like a lot to pack into one show. <laughs> yeah, it's it is a surprisingly dense and well-paced show, but hmm. it is very heavy watching. Yeah. So just be aware and if you're concerned, make sure you look in advance for those lists of trigger warnings and things. Hmm. So yeah, you, wow. It's, yeah. It kind of <laughs> I know we're long past the argument that comics are somehow childish or anything anyway, but they're definitely making their point now. It's um, it's interesting to see that happen, I think, seeing comics-related IPs really going into quite dark and... Yeah, and yeah. so long as they can handle them with a an amount of depth and sensitivity, which, you know, Jessica Jones seems to be doing so far, that is a really valuable thing to have so long as it's well signposted and the people know going in what to expect. Um, that's all been very heavy. So, Kate, do you have things to talk about that are less heavy, maybe? Murder. War. Tell <laughs> I us finished about Call of Mur- Duty. <laughs> oh, which, which <laughs> one did so you finish? Short. What was that about? I'm which one was, which one was this? Um, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. Yes, the one with Kevin Spacey. Uh, yes, who, oh my god, it was so obvious what he was about. But it was just really, the campaign was really, really short. Um, I really enjoyed it. Like, the gameplay was amazing. And I was, out of all of them, it's probably the only one where I would want to go and do the multiplayer stuff and, like, the online stuff. Like, that's how good it was. Um, I've started Assassin's Creed 1. 
Um, which is good. Like, it's amazing the difference between Assassin's Creed 1 with um, Altair and Assassin's Creed 2 with Ezio El Dettore, um, <laughs> who's way better, obviously. Um, but the difference, not I mean, the graphics, you know, they're still amazing, but just the way they changed the scenes and the general gameplay and, like, they added the treasure and the stealing and the pickpocketing and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> like, it's amazing how different they are. Um, but I'm not enjoying the first one. I want to just kind of get it over with. Um, but I found a couple of games that I have, like I've got Revelations and Brotherhood, but after Black Flag, they stopped making them on PS3. Yeah. I didn't know this. Nobody told me this. Yeah, that is that is unfortunate, isn't it? They just decided. No, well, no, there is there is a bonus one that you that came to. I think it was called Rogue that came to PS3, yeah, but it didn't there, come there to PS4. There is downloadable content and stuff. Yeah, there is there is one that came to the PS3, but didn't come to the PS4 to be like, hey, sorry, you didn't get um, Unity. Sorry, you didn't get Unity. Have this one instead. But Mia uh, has kindly said you you can come and like just binge through Syndicate. Oh. <laughs> yeah, if you wanna if you wanna come to the house that we're all getting together, you are welcome to come and just like spend a day playing through the Assassin's Creed. <laughs> no campaign. one's even allowed to talk to me. Yeah, like, just Church. turn up at eight a.m., play through till eight p.m., get through the campaign in one sitting, and we will keep you fed and watered. That would actually be <laughs> cool to kind of do and video bits of. See if if we can do it. Like um, Geek Night in live stream. I am yeah. I am more than happy to make that a thing we do. That's- Twelve hour, like only allowed to break to pee. <laughs> oh my goodness, that would be amazing. I've got um, I can't remember if I said this in the last um podcast, but I've got a couple of the missions on Assassin's Creed Two, um, that are it's where you go and get like the seals, and I'm stuck, and there's literally like three of them that I've left for my brother-in-law to do at Christmas. <laughs> I'm like, sorry. When you come down, when he comes down, it's literally gonna be like, hi, and then I'll just hand over the controls. Oh goodness, I had this. I had the same years and years ago, and this was the Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets game on the PC. Uh, but my, me. you mean the best video game? Yeah, the best video game ever. ever. Um, and my older sister-in-law got stuck trying to get through the big gardens with the hedge maze. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. see that. Yeah. And I had to help her through the hedge maze garden on Christmas morning because she got stuck. <laughs> on the um, Philosopher's Stone um, PC game, there's a bit where you have to you have your invisibility cloak on and you have to get through the library and Filch is there and Mrs. Norris is there. Um, and every time you like use a spell, your invisibility cloak stops working which is you know like fundamentally wrong let's just get that started but it was mm. a terrifying level like the music was really spooky and it would really make you jump and mum stayed up until like two in the morning to get through it for us because we were just oh, good and it. filch terrifyingly screams every time like you make a sound or you appear he's like what was that it's horrible it's what a was terrifying that? game that level who goes there so yeah, I feel the Harry Potter games. I mean, I don't know if they made any of the others on PC. They did, and they went down in quality so much. Yes, like the they first, the first few were the best. Like I vividly remember the Christmas that I got from one set of parents the PC game of of the first Harry Potter game, and from the other set of parents I got the Game Boy Color version, and I played through both of them many many times. Ah, oh, Harry Potter. 
I played the Wii one on Order of the Phoenix and it wasn't very good. No, they stopped being good around um, Prisoner of Azkaban, maybe Goblet of Fire. The PC game stopped being good. Ugh, R.I.P. Which is a shame because the Goblet of Fire, it's the Tri-Wizard tournament. That should be such good fodder for a video game. Exactly. The hot off. Don't. I'm going to get upset about this and angry. <laughs> yeah, we, we need the, the people who made the old, terrible looking games to make new games that are equally like old but for yeah, the they cannot. Films. They have to use the same technology. Yes, they got to use the like the nineteen ni- uh, the the two thousand five technology, but for today. Exactly, and they're not allowed to use like all the new systems or anything. And the packaging has to be the same, and they have to get the same artists. This needs to happen. We'll yes. do a Kickstarter for it. Yes, because we can just do a Kickstarter and it will happen. Yes, <laughs> that is, is how Kickstarter works. Work. Yeah, you you say there's enough money, someone will make it for you. Mm-hmm. Ah, so what other things do we have to talk about this week? Gemma, what else do you have on the topic list? Uh, oh, actually, I was just looking it up, but apparently it was developed by EA in the UK. Uh, the old <gasps> Harry Potter that game. means we could go find the people and make them make another one. <gasps> it's made by EA Bright Light in Guildford. So. Okay, oh. Kate, we have to go on a road trip to Guildford. <laughs> <laughs> Are you up for a road trip to Guildford? We'll we'll make a video out of it. We'll make it into work and we'll go on a road trip to Guildford and try and track down those people and be like, will you make another shitty Harry Potter game for us? (laughs) What amazing. I love it. It was 2001 the first one came out. Yeah. Oh, they've been released for Mac. (gasps) This means I can get them. Uh, Sad news. The bright light became Criterion and they were closed in January 2012. What, why do you why do you just bring me up and then That's just crash down? We'll find out who the people are and find out where they work now and we'll track them down and we'll go on a road trip. It'll be great. I could see this being quite a cool document, a weird documentary. Very yeah, we, niche. We could, make a kick, very we, niche. Could, we could kickstart a documentary of this. That we could do. <laughs> Reuniting the members who made the Harry Potter games. Oh goodness, there are too many weird documentaries I want to make at the moment. I have like little weird ideas for like I want to make this into a into a some kind of documentary. Like the one I want to do right now is about Ingress, and I want to make a documentary about my mother's sphere of friends that have kind of spawned out of the Geek Night In podcast and their obsession with Ingress. <laughs> That would be cool. So the latest update, I am currently part of a Facebook chat with my mother, her ex-husband, um, her new her new husband's uh, eldest daughter, her husband, and about four other, like, oh no, my aunt as well, who are all in their like 30s, 40s, 50s, who are already into Ingress. And my favourite thing about this is, A, it's really hilarious to see my mum and her ex-husband like reunite over an iPhone game. And secondly, it's kind of amazing to see the memes that people in their 30s, 40s and 50s will share related to Ingress. Like, I have a Facebook conversation where, like, every day I'll get five or six Ingress memes. I'm like, yep, this is, this is memes hitting generations outside of my own. Update on Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, sorry, Philosopher's Stone oh, game. American. I'm, on the American site. I'm on the American site. Um, the guy who voiced Ron Weasley was called Greg Chillin. <laughs> <laughs> and the girl who voiced Hermione Granger is in the Dixie Chicks. Really? Wow. 
she played well, she plays banjo with the Dixie Chicks apparently for the music band Dixie Chicks, along with her sister Marty and Natalie Maines. What? My goodness. So what a weird thing. The, the world <laughs> is very, very weird. You know what else is weird? Give me a second to find my segue. Kate, is Buddha weird or maybe problematic? <laughs> yes, you know. So smooth. I have to scroll back to remember why I thought he was problematic and by why I thought he obviously still is problematic. All all you've written in our pre-show chat is, hmm, studied a lot, a lot. Buddha is problematic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let me find it. Why? Why is Buddha problematic? Tell us, Kate. Um, Because that's that's quite a statement to make without evidence to back it up. Somebody, oh, hang on, problematic Buddha. Hang on, is there like a link you're finding? No, it's a conversation with my sister. (laughs) Okay, wait, where are you? Sorry, oh, yeah, yeah, the Buddha. I just this is the conversation with me and my sister. Oh, the Buddha is so rude. What did he say? He says to be happy, you have to have few duties. Sorry, Buddha, gotta eat, check your privilege. And then she put, what a dick, block him. (laughs) And I think that's it. (laughs) She said block and report for spam. But basically a lot of, um, there were some things that I was reading about how the Buddha said that you should, some of the things you should do um, to be a good Buddhist and to be a good person involve things that people with disabilities um, couldn't really do. So it was kind of just like, Come on, Buddha. Not everyone can do that. What are you talking about? But I'm sure he would be forgiving. I hope he would anyway. I'll have to check. Oh, oh, talking about things that try and teach morals, but that are really like problematic in the way they do it. I watched the best film this week while working. I want to guess what it is. This sounds like... You will never guess what it is. Is it something I will have heard of? No. no. Oh, okay, then. No, let's not play this. This is a stupid game to play. <laughs> it's called... Cool cat stops bullying. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm with Gemma. It, it is based on a series of poorly made children's books, and it is an edutainment film made somewhere in America for children to teach them moral values. This film is about an hour, maybe more, long. Um, I will try and summarize the plot of the film as best I can. Cool cat is a fully grown adult in a cat costume that wears a t-shirt that says cool cat. Um, he, his father is a human. His mother is a cat. His mother is the same outfit, but with a pair of lips stuck onto it. When the two of them appear in the same frame at once, they have to have a weird line down the middle of the frame because it's the same one suit being used twice in one shot. Basically, this child, in, uh, this this cat, who I think is meant to be a child, um, is friends with a little girl who starts getting like cyber bullied on her phone, and he encourages her to keep reading the messages, even though that's really bad for her mental health. Turns out that the bully is a is an overweight child, an ugly, uh, like an a, an unattractive overweight child. Which, if you check the book that goes with this. The only similarity with the book about Cool Cat Stops the Bullies is that the bully is overweight and unattractive. And it's basically like 
Cool Cat's message he tries to teach is that anyone who is a bully has no friends. Uh, anyone who is a bully has no friends. If you're not a bully, you definitely have friends. If you don't have friends, you are definitely a bully. That is the only reason not to have friends. So it's really weird the messages it tries to teach. Um, uh, at one point in the film, the bully like picks up a gun and threatens to take it to school. And the parents of the children rush the children into the school to protect them from the guns, which isn't a smart thing to do. Uh, the cat at one point teaches about like road safety and you have to look both ways before you cross the road. Less than a minute later, he runs into the road without looking both ways. It is a really weird film. Um, there's a segment in the middle where he goes to join the, 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 um, the Las Vegas parade. And there's just him sat in the back of a car waving and he does a dance. Uh, there's two musical breaks. It's a very weird film. When I think of the amount of stuff that doesn't get made, doesn't get approved for making, and then I hear something like that. <laughs> yeah, That's so if, if you want to get a real sense for this, just YouTube Cool Cat Stops Bullying and just watch a few minutes. Just a few minutes will do. I think I'd be scared to. Yeah, I... Like, ignoring all the budget problems with it, like, you know, obviously a lot of effort was put into this and someone tried very hard to make it and something's very endearing about that. But, like, the moral lessons it teaches are very, very weird. The moral lessons are basically, like, all overweight people who are unattractive are bullies. Anyone who doesn't have friends is a bully. Um, if you get cyberbullied, make sure to read all of the messages. Don't ignore them. Don't tell an adult about it. And look both ways before you cross the road, except don't do that because I don't do it. Well. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a thing that I had on in the background while working this week. Yeah. You were working to that? Because I, I just don't know how to respond to that. I can't imagine I, trying to fit it into I'm, a daily schedule. I'm glad until... that I had something that like my brain could focus on and create and that wasn't so mind-numbing to counteract what was on on the other screen. <laughs> so, yeah, there we go. Gemma, do you have any other things you'd like to talk about this week? Uh, well, another film I saw was Iron Sky. That was it, rather I, Iron Sky. Nazi one. Yeah, it's Nazis on the Moon. Nazis yeah, on the Moon. I, I keep being like <laughs> tempted to watch it. It's, Is it good? It's one of those films, actually, I should say, which uh, the way it starts, like, prickled all my warnings to say like is there going to be like a transphobic joke or something in here? It starts off with that sort of thing where it could go there. And mm -hmm. it certainly goes to some very odd spaces. I mean, it's it's dealing with Nazis and it does go a bit into the Nazi mentality. So there is knowing racism in it, but it's dealt with in a kind of the Nazi saying it. And is, is there more nuance to the portrayal of the Nazis than just the Nazis are the most evil people ever because they are the Nazis? Like, do they in any way act like Nazis rather than just, we are the most evil because we're evil? Well, Actually, they do. Uh, it's tricky. I mean, they actually do. 
portray some of the values of the Nazis, but it is also expanded out to be more fantastical because um, it is a comedy. So it is exaggerated. But yes. they are, they definitely act evil. Like, because most but of the time. The, the evil is rooted in the things that Nazis would do, not just generic evil because we're Nazis. Yeah, they're, they're definitely up for the, the Ubermensch idea and okay. all this sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. But it's also painted differently because these are Nazis who've been in isolation on the moon for 70 years. So they've kept the same values and wonderfully the same sort of technologies. Um, and. Because it's worth saying the visual design of the film is fantastic. Uh, but, yeah, it's kind of a tricky one. I would say watch with caution. But for my part, at least, it didn't... It, it managed to slot into place and actually provide some of the funniest scenes I've seen in a film for a long time. Um, yeah, interesting. It's made, a, <laughs> it's made with a particularly Finnish uh, sense of humour. <laughs> um, so, so a film that will appeal to me and Kate as well as you, then. <laughs> Potentially. I don't know, it'd be tricky to say. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was worth seeing. Um, yeah, so the, the, base, the basic premise is just that. It's Nazis on the moon. Um, <laughs> in terms of delivery, it's a little bit in the vein of Kung Fury in that sort of ridiculousness. Uh, for example, on the moon base, the, the current... Um, uh, trying to think. The Führer, that's the word... Um, the current Führer drives everywhere in this moon base. He gets driven everywhere in a car, just like no matter how short the distance, just so he can arrive in style, basically. Um, it's yeah. Are, are you saying uh, that there are odd things that aren't necessarily like consistent in a film about moon Nazis? Well, yeah, but it also paints very satirical pictures of like North Korea. Um, they never, they never obliquely refer to uh, the American president as being Sarah Palin, but it is bleakly Sarah Palin. How, <laughs> um, how interesting! Yeah, and it, it'll, it comes to quite a ridiculous and hilarious finale. Um, yeah, I, I liked it, and yeah. apparently they're doing a, a second one. So, um, how well, interesting. interesting! I that that does sound interesting. Your, your mentioning of trans of potentially transphobic jokes did lead me onto something that I wanted to very quickly mention, which is, um, uh, Zoolander two trailer happened. There is some stuff in that. I've but, been seeing mentions of this on Twitter. I'd yet to actually track it down. Okay, the short version for people who don't want to have to watch it themselves. Um, the first Zoolander film was very much a parody of the excesses of certain types of behavior within model culture. Mm. And this one particular joke in the Zoolander 2 trailer appears to not be about excesses of behavior, but just about the existence of a group. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch plays a character called All, who is either meant to be transgender or non-binary, or is definitely portrayed as not cisgender. And... Oh, sorry, are you both still there? Yeah, you're talking about Benedict Cumberbatch, right? In Zoolander. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Um, Can I just say, somebody on my Facebook referred to Benedict Cumberbatch as being woke the other day. As what? Woke, like, it's kind of a term of saying, like, really on it when it comes to social justice. Oh, things, like, no, no, no. Eyes no, wide no. open. And then I saw Ooh. this and was like... Yeah. No. So, so Carry on, sorry, yeah. but just so, to add some more yeah, context. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there are some problems with Benedict Cumberbatch. But um, he plays this character who is presented as very um 
mixed in their gendered presentation and mixed in their gendered behavior and the punchline that's given for the joke in the trailer is just ha 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 isn't it funny that we don't know what gender this person is it's like oh are you a male model or a female model um person doesn't give an answer either way no 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 what we're asking is do you have a hot dog or a bun it's like oh lovely and uh like while i will obviously wait to see the context within the film before making a judgment about whether the character's portrayal is positive or negative when given the context of the larger film given my knowledge of when trans transphobic or non-binaryist jokes turn up in trailers generally the context doesn't help usually the context doesn't make it any better when it's a comedy yeah, well, actually, Zoolander has passed form on that because uh, mm. I I have seen it a few times before. I do like the film, but I hadn't seen it for ages. And on a recent reviewing, I I totally forgot that there's a blatant uh, transphobic joke in there. Mm-hmm. Not even leveled at a trans person, but it's just like, ah, oh, why did you have to go there? It just yeah. completely drops the entire film. At that point. And the, the the thing that feels really weird about this is that it feels like it's trying to potentially reference, um, like the only reference point in the modeling world that this seems like it might be pointing at is um, the modeling world has just recently had its first sort of like very successful transgender model. Mm. And I've forgotten her name off the top of my head, and I'm terribly sorry about this. But um, Thea T was not. No, no, it's ages um, ago. No, there is there is a very successful model at the moment who's uh, who's trans. Uh, Her name begins with a P, and I cannot remember what it was. But regardless, um, there's a very successful female um, trans woman model at the moment, and it feels like it's trying to be in like a reference to her potentially. Or to gen, I don't know. It feels very weird. It doesn't feel like it knows quite what it's trying to poke fun at, and it's not poking fun at any kind of excess. It's just ha ha ha. Isn't it funny that some people aren't cis? So that's iffy. Hooray for comedy! Woo! It's fine. I won't complain too much because I I watched two shows in a row on Netflix where there were lesbians in the first episode. So you know I'm good. Everything is good so long as Netflix keeps throwing lesbians and everything. Oh, Tilly just started talking in her sleep in the background of the recording. What did she say? What did she say? No, she just mumbled nonsense words, nothing intelligible. <laughs> Podcasting. Hooray, yeah. Uh, so did you watch any other films, Gemma? Because you said you watched a lot of films this week. Well, I also watched, let's see, because uh I'm trying to remember how many fitted in because um, I haven't been on the podcast for a while. We also watched Event Horizon, which Ooh. was pretty rubbish, to, to be honest. I'm assuming it, this was your first watching of it then. Yeah, it was um, a film made in 1997, has Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill um, and Jolie Richardson as well. And it's a story of a, an experimental spaceship which was using <laughs> fusion drive to uh, travel at speeds faster than light, which, apart from everything else, is a ridiculous notion. Fusion drive could not do that. Um, well, well, but, but science, Gemma, <laughs> science. Yeah. Um, but something is wrong, and so there's a search and rescue team sent out to try and find it. 
uh, Sam Neill plays the doctor who designed the ship and Lawrence Fishburne is the captain of the crew rescuing it. It all feels very much like the Nebuchadnezzar and considering this was made, it's released two years before the Matrix. It's all quite like similar. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a slasher thriller as well. Um, just not very good. It's again, it's one that has really nice design though. Like this, the ship that they find, well, the titular event horizon, um, it looks like something uh, HR Giga would have designed. Um, so, like, really quite cool, but totally non-inhabitable. <laughs> like, it's the sort of place which is designed to be the set for a horror film. That's basically, like, disbelief thrown out the window at that point. Um, yeah, it's hard to put my finger on something in particular, but not really worth watching. So we ended up following that up with Cabin in the Woods, and that ended up, like, redeeming our a horror night basically <laughs> that um, sounds like a better yeah. better end to the night i imagine yeah um well, it feels like a downer saying that i watched the film it was kind of rubbish that's all right i can talk about a thing that was interesting um this week i got a google cardboard which for anyone who doesn't know is a very very cheap solution for virtual reality um Basically, it is a cardboard box you put together that comes with like two lenses that you put into gaps and then fold the cardboard together and there's like Velcro to hold it together. And you slot your phone into it. And you by having your phone sideways in it and these lenses that do things, it's a very cheap way to turn your phone you've already got into a like virtual reality setup where you can turn your head around and look at things in 3D and that sort of thing. Um... I was dubious on the tech because I've used some of the more expensive virtual reality headsets and kind of been a bit of a, a, a tech a tech snob and been like, oh, these are amazing. I don't want to go to anything worse than this now. And I was surprised at how competently Google Cardboard worked. Um, what I ended up doing as my test run is there is a program called Trinus. The, what it basically does is it runs on your PC monitor um, and we'll set up like a very basic uh, VR mode for your games and then streams it to your phone to view in Google Cardboard. And for something that cost maybe, you know, it'd be maybe £20 to order one of these Google Cardboards, I was able to play Fallout 4 in virtual reality. And granted, it was very low resolution and a fairly low frame rate. It was surprisingly playable. And that was, I was very surprised at how well things like um, screen mirroring solutions work for running like, for running it as a PC virtual reality headset. So that was interesting. Um, I also watched a trailer for some 3D Minions movie in 3D <laughs> on my phone. And no matter where I turned my head, I couldn't look away because it was a virtual reality headset. The minions were in 3D everywhere I looked. Oh, no. Um, yeah, that does sound kind of terrifying. Yeah. But no, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, my The setup is like very, very obviously low tech. Like when I was using this, I had my phone in there and there was an elastic band that was holding it around my head. So I had an elastic band in this cardboard box on my face. But it was surprisingly decent. It was like a very usable, like, oh, this is, oh, I can look around and control the camera with my head. That is cool. 
No, it does sound quite nice, particularly for for that low price point. And also, yeah, it's 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 just it's also quite um, transparent. I feel so when people people can immediately see what Google Cardboard is doing there. So rather than like an because the original Oculus Rift headsets were quite imposing looking. I think that's somewhere where Gear VR has improved because it looks more like something you would want to put on your face. <laughs> yes. And that's the thing is like, even if it looks a little bit stupid, it's not super obtrusive. Um, again, you've got the issues of like just the, you've got the screen resolution and um, frame rate on your phone, which aren't going to be as great and sound quality. You've only got one touchable button that's kind of a like a, bit of cardboard that pushes another bit of cardboard to touch the screen and that's your like your input but it worked pretty decently um you can see there's you can definitely see the seams around you it's not the big immersive experience that something like the vibe or the oculus is hmm. but if you just want to have like a virtual 50 inch cinema screen in front of you that you're like oh yeah i want to watch tv on a big cinema screen in my face you can do that. <laughs> yeah, when you put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's what's happening in the chat? Kate is talking about something. Oh, it's just because I just noticed that your two avatars uh, kind of overlap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm leaning off one way and becoming Kate in our yeah. Skype thing. But yeah, Google Cardboard, surprisingly decent. Like, if you don't own a virtual reality headset and want to mess around with the idea of VR... It is a very low price point to get involved. So yeah. Uh, Kate, do you have any other things you still want to talk about this week? I went to a an art gallery. Oh, fancy. Southampton has an art gallery. Why didn't you say you were going to Southampton? That's really close to me. I'd have come and looked at fancy art. I was on a day school with university. So fine, fine, be a nerd. Oh my god, it was so stressful because I was going to go to Reading and then I went to Southampton and I was so anxious about it, I nearly passed out in the car park. <laughs> it got pretty intense. Um, I didn't pass out and I went to the thing with Bob and I went to the Art Guardian. It was cool, it's free and it's very like we've been learning about how um, the arrangement of galleries and museums influences um, your thoughts on them. Mm. And also shows how they're viewed and valued by that institution. So, you know, whatever's on uh, an amazing um, front, like has front, sorry, words aren't working. You can edit that bit out. What am I saying? It shows the value. So a piece that has front and centre and has the most attention directed on it is obviously going to be, um, you know, obviously the museum really likes that or it was very expensive or something. But also um, with artefacts, how they're organised, especially artefacts from um, civilizations that were colonised during the last couple of hundred years, um, you know, putting priceless pieces of artwork next to pots and pans shows that you maybe don't understand the value of that artwork. Um, especially if they're on the floor, cough, Pitt Rivers Museum in Oxford, cough, um, which is a very weird place and something I'd, somewhere I'd like to go to. Because yeah, look, look at you throwing shade at museums. <laughs> well, I'm, I am going to throw shade at Pitt Rivers because, well, it's now. Okay, so, <laughs> okay, so everybody sit down. So the Pitt Rivers Museum in Oxford, this guy 
basically put a load of stuff he'd collected and stolen and bought over the years in a museum and it's organized like he would take two spears and go well these spears look similar but this one is slightly neater so they must be from the same place and the same people but the neater one must be slightly newer and they're not they're from other parts of the world they just happen to be a good shape for spears and you know he was just looking at it in a very white western centric way and wasn't thinking well if I was these people why would I want this spear to look like that etc etc so the museum is actually a very good example of how people thought about ethno ethnography and anthropology at that time throughout the 19th and 20th centuries as a museum it's a terrible terrible place and it doesn't teach you anything but it is a very good example of how people thought about museums and galleries and collections but related to the art gallery kind of that's how we've been taught to think about these kind of things and you know we we had a list of questions that was like what would you um why do you think this was there what do you think about the way the space is arranged and then you get in and it's just like a room with some paintings it's like oh okay and you're kind of expecting it to be like well here's the renaissance art and here's the modern art and here's this but they're not it's like there's a portrait of napoleon next to a couple of other portraits and then it's like oh here's um on the next wall there's some C modern art stuff and it took us a while to realize that they're actually organized by theme so the portraits are on one section and then all the landscape pictures are kind of on another section <laughs> oh that's not how I was expecting that's, it so you, you were hoping for like a renaissance room and what you got was yeah, here is kind of... here is the room with the portrait paintings but then they had, that was just like the main entrance bit. And it looks, I was like, God, well, were we really here for an hour? This is going to take five minutes. And then I found a door and that door led to about six other rooms. And then there was another format like this on the other side of the main hall. So it was actually a huge, huge gallery. And they had um, an exhibition on stenciling, like stuff made um, with like kind of dots. It's complicated, but it looked cool. Um which is obviously quite modern sort of in the last 10 years. And they also had the story of Perseus who went to go and get the head of the, of um, Medusa, who was a Gorgon um, and cut off her head and put it in a sack kind of thing. And it's just that story in like 10 paintings. And then there was also an exhibition, which I went around backwards, which actually was very interesting because it made me think about why they'd put them in that order. Um, And it was by a guy called Ben Johnson. And I will put for the show notes, thing he's an architectural painter so he paints pictures of architecture um and his paintings are incredibly oh they're just amazing like I've got two postcards I'm looking at them now and they're they look like photographs and he does it with kind of lines and stencils and all these kinds of things to make if you think about vanishing point photos uh pictures and paintings but to an extreme and it's all architecture and things like that and then it went back I went backwards through his chronology and how he changed and like the paintings are very very labor intensive to do and it's like a whole team of them and it takes like a year and they've gotten quicker but they've gotten like he's made the process more efficient but because it's more efficient and it's more progressive he can now do more so it still takes as long 
because he's like, well, we've got this bit more efficient, but actually I can now add this, this and this, and that's going to look amazing. So it's still going to take forever. But I will put a link to... I would recommend it. Ben Johnson, Spirit of... Oh, I've just put that in the wrong... I've just sent it to my friend. Okay, never mind. My sister is now looking at this art gallery. <laughs> that's fine. Everyone needs to look at fine art. But it was really nice. It was really um, interesting, the... I mean, they're beautiful, beautiful paintings, and I'm very pleased with my um, with my little postcards that cost about fifty pence. And yes, so I went to an art gallery, so I am super, super cultured now. You are very cultured. You are the the height of modern high class. Yeah, basically, la di da. Yeah, and with that, is that a good place for us to wrap up? Because it's getting a bit late at night for us now. Yeah, I'm sleepy. Is that a good place yes. for us to all go to bed. <laughs> It's 20 to midnight here in Sweden. So. Yes, I'll let you get to bed then, Gemma, and we will head to bed slightly <laughs> earlier because we're in the UK. Don't let the bed bugs bite. Indeed. So time to do self-promotion. Gemma, where can we find you on the internet when you're not going to sleep because it's very late? Well, you can still find me then because the internet lives without me. Um, <laughs> it lives! <laughs> you can find me generally anywhere with my username, Raygun Goth. Uh, you can also find me. Oh, yeah, Diversity Podcast. See, I've done the thing where basically, like, I know Laura used to forget podcasts when she said which other ones she was on. Yeah. I only do two, <laughs> and I managed to forget the other one. Oh. So, yeah, you can find yeah, me on the Diversity is... Podcast as well. That is your things. Kate, where can we find you on the internet? I am www mascaraandchill.tumblr.com where I'm posting lots of nice beauty things and yeah that's it alright and you can find me pretty much everywhere on Laura K Buzz uh, the new one is as of this week you can find me at laurakbuzz.com I finally have that domain uh, sorted and if you go to laurakbuzz.com you will find links to everything I publish so new episodes of this podcast you'll get a link to it there new videos new features whatever i do will end up on there so go to laura k buzz do it every day and give me views and such and then give me money at patreon.com forward slash laura k buzz that's what keeps the bills paid yeah so thank you very much and we will have another episode of the geek night in for you again next week bye bye